this is the bail list. We are recording. Did you make notes and everything? Oh, hell yes, I did. Dude, you're like way more prepared than I've ever been. Well, I felt like it was actually really important that now that I'm taking your role for tonight, that I could flip it and ask the hard, serious, awkward questions that you've asked me. Kickstart your next expedition with Wild Earth, a proud supporter of the Bailist podcast. Gear, advice, and inspiration for adventurers of all levels. And get strong with Awesome Woodies, another supporter of the podcast, creating locally made, sustainable, and handcrafted training tools for climbers. Nicole Welcome back to The Bail List. Can you believe this podcast has been up for a year now? I wanted to do something different in this month's episode to celebrate. This was actually Hank Morgan's idea. You're probably familiar with Hank if you've listened to this podcast for a while. I've interviewed him in two episodes of the show. But the tables have turned this month and he's decided to interview me, as well as my partner in climbing and in life, Andrew Banks. Now, I've talked a lot before about how bailing off stuff is a signature of our climbing experience, so you're going to find out a little bit more about that today. We have a lot of stories and not all of them could fit into one episode, but Andrew is really wise, so hopefully at the end of this episode you'll have learned a lot and you'll know me a little bit better and have lots of good ammunition to mock me with if ever you should meet me in real life. Enjoy! (laughs) So I guess... Tonight's my chance. This is a bit of an opportunistic moment to interview you two, um, the voice behind the bail list and uh, the partner of the bail list, and sort of get to know you two better. Uh, I think that's really cool for the viewers because, or the listeners, um, because it's something that they may not know too much about. And I'll be honest, I did try to stalk you a little bit <laughs> and found very little information on you, Andrew. So I'll be nice to you tonight. Uh, Nicole can't promise the same thing. I'm yeah. so nervous because I roasted you last time we did an episode together. <laughs> so I'm like, my God, what's he going to ask? I'm ready though. Okay, I'm excited. Good. Good. <laughs> um, I guess maybe to begin with, let's just do a little quick speed sort of thing where we get to know each other. Um, speed dating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this that's... is the first time you've met Andrew tonight, so yeah, it's well, kind I might of... find a partner on this. Sorry, speed dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always looking for new people now that um, the bow list is you know, earmarked me as super dangerous and dodgy. Uh, I guess maybe quickly, let's just do these first sort of thing that comes into your head or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So firstly, who are you? Um, I'm Nicole and I'm the host of The Bailist. I'm also a climber and a PR and content professional. Okay. Did that answer the question? Yeah, that's great. I feel like we're in a job interview. Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. I'm Andrew and... I just climb a lot of things badly. <laughs> okay. I attempt to climb a lot of things. Yeah, okay. I mean, for me personally, um, one of the mottos of my life is if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. And yeah. I think that that's probably something that we can all relate to is if you're not pushing your limits, then you don't know where they are. So, um, yeah, that's kind of cool that you've probably learnt a lot yeah. from failing as well. Yeah, well, I'm... I know, I'm climbing for the adventure, and I feel like if you know you're going to get to the top, 
it's not an adventure. <laughs> so there's, there's got to be that sometimes you just don't know. Okay. A lot of the time, a lot of the time with us, we don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I like it because that's similar style. So um, you've already kind of answered this, Nicole, and the next question was yeah. your profession or what you do for work. So Sure. Well, yeah, I, I already answered. I uh, am a freelance PR and content specialist. Which means that I uh, am a hype girl for lots of different companies, basically. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm a chemist, so I work in a laboratory. And then I've got a side hustle, which is a coffee farm, which is, you know, the, the passion. Okay. Andrew cool. has, I'm going to brag and be a proud girlfriend, Andrew owns the only coffee farm in Brisbane. Okay, well that's pretty yeah. awesome. There we go. At Savages Coffee on Instagram, look it up. Okay, <laughs> there we go. We learned something. Um, my next question for you guys is favorite food. Oh God, anything with potatoes. Okay. Any potato food? Yeah, potato related food. Roast chicken, I reckon. Roast chicken. Yeah. Every meal. Okay. It's like that. All right. Cool. Cool. I feel like we're getting there. I'm learning a bit about Andrew, so that's good. <laughs> Um, what about if you could have one superhuman power, what would it be? I, I think I would want to fly. Okay. I think that would be pretty rad. Okay. And it would make climbing less scary too. Because <laughs> if I was going to fall, then it wouldn't matter. That's a hard one. I don't know. I haven't ever thought about that. <laughs> I oh, know, but it I mean, makes it too easy. Superpowers are aid. <laughs> <laughs> more like French free. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I was torn between um, like being able to read people's mind and invisibility. So I don't yeah. know if I would want to know what people are thinking about me, though. Well, it doesn't have to be about you. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. that's true. It's not all about me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, invisibility would be cool. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you'd have to be able to turn it off, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well then no one would know where you were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what else would be cool is time travel. Yeah, there's a lot of things you could do with time travel. Um, Alright, that's cool. So obviously we're in COVID times and we can't travel. We're kind of locked in our state uh, at the moment. But if you had the ability to go anywhere, where would you go? Do you want to answer that first? It started snowing in Canada at the moment, so I reckon we'd be in Banff okay. pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, that was actually moment. that yeah. was actually one thing that we had intended to do right before COVID happened. We were sort of planning a trip to go to Canada. We've got some friends over there, Josh and Beck, who are I think loyal listeners of the podcast. Um, and they, um, yeah, we were going to go over and visit them. Oh, um, yeah. And I was going to learn how to ice climb because I've never ice climbed before. Okay, welcome so, to yeah. the world of scariness. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, so that would probably... So be... what's happening now with COVID is all, all the time, like, climbing trips are just getting banked. And we're like, oh, instead of going to Canada for a month, we go for two months. And now it's just growing, growing. It's like, do we just link an ice season in Canada with, like, a spring in Yosemite? And then all of a sudden, you're Shall... like, so you just wait for everything to open up and then just do six months of... Yeah. Sounds like you're doing van life in America. It sounds yeah. like it, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that's some pretty good ones. I've got a couple more if you want to bear with me. Is yeah. that something that you're happy with? Okay, I'm cool. S- this is fun. Um, so, common myth about you that you might want to debunk? Oh, God. If, if you don't yeah. have something, then that's People cool. People always think I'm a strong climber. That's, that's <laughs> I've just been climbing a long time. It doesn't mean I'm good at it. I think that's a... 
a big issue I've got. But but I think that's maybe like a, a common myth about climbing is that to to have a good, um, fulfilling climbing career, you have to be strong. And I think like if meeting Andrew has taught me anything, like not to slam your because you are a good climber. Um, but I think like one thing I've learned from you is that really what unlocks any kind of like amazing adventures in climbing is knowledge rather than strength. So maybe that's not a myth about me, but that's a myth I would like to bust publicly for everyone is that being a strong climber is not necessarily the only way to have a fulfilling climbing career. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm much the same, you know, I didn't yeah. feel like I was super strong. I just wanted to try all different aspects of climbing and be a jack of all trades, really. And then I just found adventure climbing and loved it. So I think that's probably why I chose it, because you didn't have to be super strong. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's fun, you know, and, and it is, you know, there's a mental element to it that's exciting as well, because you do have to fill your brain with knowledge in order to... Um, you know, make it work real well in a safe manner. So, you know, yeah, that's something maybe for people out there. Not to say that you shouldn't train and get strong if that is fun for you. It but helps with adventure climbing. It yeah. makes it way less scary. It if you're inside your limit, then yeah. it's all good. Yeah, but also, you know, don't. that's not the only thing to focus on. Also focus on filling your brain. Yeah. And Goal. 18 in all styles is probably more 18. Yeah, more yeah exactly. Like, yeah. Yep. You know, being really strong in one style. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. very true, is being able to be disciplined at, like, crack climbing, sport climbing, slide yeah. climbing, and whatever else it might be. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Just take a trip out to Girawing, and it rains you all the way back. Yeah, look, we <laughs> did go out to Girawing recently. We can we can maybe delve into more about that later. We went with our good friend Ryan Siachi, uh-huh. who wants to claim royalties for every time his name's mentioned on this podcast, okay. because it's literally every episode. Yeah. But yeah, we'll go into maybe more of that later okay. when it comes yeah. up. All right, I'm, we'll mark that down as something to come back to then. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have an embarrassing moment that you want to talk about? Oh, God, just one. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you can have more than one. I thought I'd just make it easy, you know. Embarrassing moment. I own a lot of the, the dodgy stuff I've done on cliffs. So I don't think any of them are that embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, I don't think anything I've done is a secret. But one thing I would say, climbing-related, that's embarrassing, um, that that is not that easy to find, but you could find it, is the way that I got into climbing, which was through news reporting. The very first time I ever climbed a, a wall was indoors at the one of the climbing gyms on the Gold Coast Paramount. And, um, you know, when you're a news reporter, you have to very quickly become an expert about things that you know nothing about. Um, so that was basically, I did a news story on climbing and I was like sitting in a harness halfway up the wall being like, this is climbing guys. And I did not know shit. I never touched a climbing wall before so that story is pretty embarrassing okay. that's probably an embarrassing moment for I'm, me. I'm sure we'll um put the link up in the bio I so yeah will... just just watch this space yeah, yeah i've definitely got a photo i don't know i'm sure the story's kicking around the <laughs> internet somewhere but there's definitely a really uh lame photo okay me <laughs> um i guess that brings me to another one you guys are obviously well adversed with adventure and, and have done plenty of trips have you got something that you would highly recommend for someone just getting into adventures to either, you know, a resource or, you know, some really sound advice to 
you know, pass on to someone who's only going, maybe transitioning from indoor climbing to, to that greater, scarier outdoor climbing world? I think the, the best bit of advice for people who are transitioning from indoors to outdoors is just to start again grade-wise and don't have pride. Because there's so many people that, you know, they, they climb 21s, they go to Frog for the first time, which is adventurous the first time you go. And you can't climb grade 21 at Frog the first time. It's, <laughs> it's a start again, le- learn a new technique. And I think any sort of form of adventure climbing, yep. you just need to transition and just admit that you're not as good as you were somewhere else start again and get it dialed because you want to get those systems dialed before you end up at the, the top of a 21 with no gear. So I have three tips for people. One is wear a helmet when you're climbing outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, two is do a vertical rescue course or find someone who will teach you how to do vertical rescue. And the, the third thing kind of pertains to what I said earlier, which is I don't think that just because you're not a strong climber, you're precluded from entering the adventure climbing space because that's not true at all there's some amazing easy to moderate adventure climbs in southeast queensland alone and you know and all like we climbed in the dolomites we've climbed in thailand Mm -hmm. um and i am not by any means a strong climber but i've been able to achieve that just because i've not been like oh no i could never you know coming coming back to the dolomites because you'll only listen there Nicole learnt trad at Frog, and then we went to the Dolomites, which is limestone. Um, and Nicole was doing a lot of pitches with very little gear, because she was used to placing gear in cracks. And all of a sudden, there was horns to sling, and there was just an absolute show. She really doesn't like loose pittens, and um, so <laughs> yeah. it, it comes Dolomites back to, full of them, aren't yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you Did you ever see any of the old wooden ones that they had in the... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I would have been get, shitting myself. You missed out. Yeah. <laughs> there was, I just re- very clearly remember this one pitten that was like uh, kind of tucked away under this little, uh, I don't know, in this little corner roof, of rock. Yeah. It was under a roof. And I just was like, I can't even get a carabiner in there. It was just like a bizarre, for someone who's never seen a pitten before, it was mm. just such a... Um, you were also yeah, really upset it, when you found out that pitten was the anchor. Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I feel like the Euros have got like a whole next level of uh, limited safety, and yeah, I mean, like, yeah, but you can make those things safe because I think like especially because I've been to the Dolomites before that there's all these like weird thread throughs where you you don't see them. You just go, oh, it's a fun thing to stick my finger in, and then you go there and you go, oh wait, I can actually make this into protection and there's times where it's like you put a, a sling around a horn and you like leave some gear on it to, to weigh down enough that it doesn't follow you up yeah so there's, there's a whole lot of obscure gear that goes into this and it's the same sort of thing where you need to almost start again mm-hmm. get used to the style before you throw yourself at something too big or too hard yeah, yeah, that's one thing you learn from adventure trad climbing, though, is that anything is protection if you want it that <laughs> Even a spear lily, as you would know yep. from yeah. episode four, I think. Yeah, I've, I've clipped some pretty useless stuff in my time just for psychological comfort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess probably the last one is you guys have been doing climbing for a while. If you were to go back and start again, is there one thing in particular that you would want to teach yourself straight away? 
Or share with, you know, your new climbing partner. I mean, that makes it easier. Uh, to... If I was to start again, I'd go back and tell myself not to buy the cheapest cams off the internet. Yeah, okay. Is there a story behind that? Or... Uh, I used to have, there was a brand called Climbing Technology that I think it still floats around. And I had the, these cams that were really narrow. Uh-huh. So if the rope touched them when they were placed, they Kick would out. flip. Uh-huh. So... Quite often, you get to the top of thing, someone would take up, and all the cams would pop out underneath <laughs> you as the rope got taut and touched them, which um. That's really, very stressful. Yeah, it really wasn't great for the head game. It would have been good for the second day. They don't have to do <laughs> yeah. any work. It's just all in their lap at the start of the climb. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it, it it come it really came down to a lesson I learnt later on, where it's like, I'm not rich enough to buy things twice, so you just buy. Yeah. The right equipment. Yeah. Equipment. Yeah. When, so when you can, you don't, you know, spend three quarters of the price on something that's a bit dodgy useless. and going to replace it anyway. Yeah. 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 So what you're trying to say is just hold off and save up and get the right equipment yeah. at the start and save yourself all that heartache and pain by buying less expensive equipment. So it's mm. a good point. Um, I think maybe for me the. Don't, don't believe people who tell you it never rains at Boona. Yeah, don't believe <laughs> when people tell you that it never rains at Boona. Don't believe Andrew Banks when he tells you something's a 16 because it absolutely fucking won't be. Um, and when morning. he says something is slightly vegetated, it's going to be like entirely just lawn mowing. Okay, um, cool. All right, I yeah. think this is going to get pretty exciting for oh, the yeah. next like, half gonna, hour or so. This is yeah. going to turn into couples therapy, I yeah. think. Well, I mean... That's interesting. It's been actually pretty good because you guys are actually leading me into my next (laughs) questions quite nicely. Um, My next question was to both of you, um, a memorable trip that you've done together. um, And then the alternate one was a not so memorable trip that you've done together. A a trip that we wish we could forget? Yeah, something (laughs) like that. Or or maybe you could say that you learnt a lot from that trip and how to avoid that again. (laughs) Oh God, where to begin? Um, Do you have a memorable one? Um, I know, the Dolomites was pretty good. Yeah, that Um, was fucking sick. But, I know, everything went... Language warning. (laughs) There's young kids listening to this. I don't think there's ever... Are there actually young kids listening to this? Sure, there's plenty of kids in the gym listening to this. I had never intended for this to be for children, so I'm really sorry. That's alright, I'm just saying, I'll just pull you up on it from now on. When Kyle Addy dropped an F-bomb in the first episode, I was just like, alright, that's how this is going to (laughs) be. Well, I'm the host tonight, so I can call the shots. It's PG-13 people <laughs> yeah the dolomites was amazing yeah but i know every, everything went pretty well so it didn't make it the day that i remember from the dolomites that was really incredible for me um was that i did actually my first multi-pitch without andrew mm-hmm. um in the dolomites and i did it with another female climber which um you know is for me was really exciting i think it's always great when you've kind of been climbing with somebody who mentors you and teaches you the skills and to a degree you always feel dependent on them and then suddenly you kind of go out on your own and you realise that you are capable completely by yourself. You can open your wings and fly. Yeah. That's just superhuman power. Yeah, and that was actually a great, the, the multi-pitch that I did, the first one 
uh, without Andrew, we did Tyrolean Traverse and it was amazing. I actually picked the route when we were going through the guidebook back home specifically because I really wanted to do a Tyrolean Traverse, which for people who don't know is essentially um, when you've climbed up maybe like a pillar and you're trying to get from the pillar to another mountain or section of rock um, and you can't walk there, you've got to basically go uh, on a rope that's slung between the two peaks um, and so you can you know tie a safety to it and or clip a safety to it and um, drag yourself along somehow um, and it was really exciting. Yeah I think a lot of people would probably be familiar with that sort of technique used or seen in photos of getting off the totem pole in Tasmania. Yes, it's a exactly. pretty common one where you see photos of them um, you know, kind of making that flying fox style set up to come off of the pillar and back to the mainland. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I explained that very well, so uh, maybe yeah. Google it or I'll put up a photo yeah. or something. you can share a photo. We've had a lot of misadventure on Biwa. Okay. <laughs> so we attempted to do West Biwa, which is the most vegetated thing in the world. Yes. Where you, yes. Don't, you don't need to place gear, you just go either side of the trees on the way out. Yes. Um, we didn't make it to the top because it, we hit a dihedral that had trees on either side of it, and then eventually there was a tree in the middle that you couldn't climb through, and just just start working out. So then we got to rappel through all the vegetation we just climbed. That would have been a slow process on rappelling a slow rectangle. and painful, yeah. because it was just like sticks constantly going up your butt. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I said to Andrew, I'm sure you and somebody else will really enjoy doing that again one day, but it's not going to be me, absolutely not. <laughs> haven't, haven't twisted your arm to get back there? I mean, how long ago oh, was that? He's dropped it into conversation a couple of times, yeah, could, but it's not how happening. How long ago did this trip happen? This would have been probably that? two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were right ready to go again. No, I have not forgotten how bad it was. I think that's how you know you're ready to do like a crazy adventure again is when you've forgotten how bad it was the first time. What was what was good on Gear though was we did Cyclops with our friend Ryan. I've never had anyone untie before. And I did um such a terrible job of root finding. <laughs> Ryan Siachi untied and just walked around. Just like soloed up halfway up the mountain. I mean, easy on an easy route, but Brian has a habit of doing that with yeah. us, actually. He did it at Gerowin as well. <laughs> All right, well, he's making a lot of money out of this podcast tonight, isn't he? Yeah, we have to start Guess sending so. out those checks. Well, a lot of our adventures are with Ryan, so, you know, he's oh. a good friend of both of us. So, um, he yeah, he comes along and, you know, takes us up crazy things. And Well, he's a sucker for a good adventure, and that's kind of what we... When we when we chase him, he, he's a good friend to bring along. Yeah. And um, yeah. So what happened there is there was a, a bit of a route description that said trend left, but what it actually meant was go left. So I trended, which meant <laughs> I essentially dinoed to a tree, which I'm about a foot tall and Ryan as well. <laughs> dinoed to a tree, climbed through it, and then proceeded to do about a forty meter pitch, which I ended and then yelled down. There's so much rope drag, I can't belay you. You're going to have to belay yourself up. Mm -hmm. And he just simply went, no, un <laughs> untied and walked around. <laughs> that What that meant was that I had to pick up essentially 30 metres of just his slack rope as well as, you know, hauling mine over my shoulder as I tried to bush bash through all of this vegetation. So, yeah, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, obviously, I'm sitting across the table and I can see the grins that you guys have got. There's a lot of teeth showing at the moment. I mean, obviously, that's um, that's a cool thing. It's a, a sign of passion for life and that sort of thing. Is there one thing that really um, gives you guys that sort of enthusiasm to just continue to push the limits and live your best life? Like, what, what's that kind of look like to you if you had the opportunity to live your best life? Or are you doing it? I think we're doing it. Yeah, I think we're doing it. Yeah. I gotta, you, you can't climb every day because then it stops being the special thing. Yep. And it's like, you know, back in the day when I was really tossing up whether I go into guiding or something like that, you go, as soon as it's work, it's no longer on your terms. So I think it's, I know, it's a good life where you, you, you know, you realise when you're sitting in an office, you go, this weekend's going to be good. I'm going to... Gonna go and crush something. Yeah, crush something. Yeah, or, or discover something new or a place yeah. you haven't visited before. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's been hard to, as everybody who's a climber or an adventurer knows, the last two years have been hard to live your best life. But um, we've had some of the best adventures that I've had in my climbing career in the past two years. Like, we went to the Warren Bungles uh-huh. in April of this year, which was just sick. And I, I would highly recommend that to anyone who is a competent, confident adventure trad climber. Um, and and Girawing was sick as well. I mean, we only went there for three days, but that was really fun. I ripped three pairs of pants. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was a different, wholly different style of climbing for me because I've never really climbed on pure slab uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Um, and... Yeah, it was. You just have to fun. trust those feet, hey. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, it was hard. And um, mates and mice in Warren Bungles or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we were there during the New South Wales mouse plague. Okay. And it was like I, I just when we got there, I was like, oh, they're so cute. And by <laughs> the end, we accidentally killed one and threw it in the fire, and I was not upset about it yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> Okay. I think we'll just move on. We might have to cut that out. (laughs) That makes Um, me sound like a psycho, but I can't even tell you. Like one of the one of the girls that we were there with Kieran, she only brought a bivy bag, which is a fantastic idea in theory because uh, for those who don't know, the Warren Bungles National Park is actually a dark sky zone, Mm -hmm. which essentially means because there's an observatory near there that's had like some world class uh, astronomical discoveries. Um, and say that three times fast for me. (laughs) I'm never saying that again. Um, so there's no like very minimal light pollution. So you can see the night sky, you can see all of the stars and it's really beautiful. So she brought a bivy bag so she could lie at night and look up at the stars. But all she saw was like mice crawling over her face. Oh, nice. Nice. So they they were like up your pants legs. There was no, literally we had to tuck our pants into our socks. Oh, that's a really good look. Can we get a photo of that for the bio? <laughs> we got a photo yeah. of that. We were too traumatised. Oh, man. Surely someone's got a photo and, of and that. And you'd literally put your cup of tea down beside you and you look over and there'd be like a mouse having a sip out of it. Drinking it was, out of it. Like, yeah. You had to be right. so on the ball about where your food was, what was going uh-huh. on. Yeah. What about food storage? Like if you were either climbing or, you know, at night camping, you know? It's so like... so in, there's a hut there. So there was a few bits of wire from the roof in the hut. Which then ended up with, I think there was eight of us in there, with eight people's worth of food yeah, dangling right. off it just mm. because otherwise there was no chance. Damn, Damn. those mice and would have been like just waiting <laughs> and praying to the and gods. They, they were strong, like, because a couple of nights we went, oh, what happens if you tied up with a sling or something else? 
and they'd get down it. And they could climb really, down the sled. Yeah, so yeah. it, it yeah. had to be like really thin wire, otherwise your food was gone. We got there day one before we realised how hectic the mouse plague was. And we like laid our food out for maybe like 15 minutes to organize it all into, you know, which day we'd be having uh -huh. which meal. And by then they'd already eaten through a package of one of our food. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the, the guys had a hole in a tent about yeah. an hour into being there. Because he had food in the he tent. Had, yep. He had food in the tent yeah. and the mouse went straight through the floor. Isn't that a trap for young players, hey? Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> man. Yeah. Well, I've got a story about wolves in a tent and yeah, it's not good. So, mm, yeah. another time. Um, Alright, I feel like we touched on this before, but maybe it's important. Like, um, you could go back to when you were 18 would you change anything about your outdoor career and maybe you weren't even in the outdoor career at 18 would you want to start earlier you started pretty early i'd already started yeah okay i had a gap year between um high school and uni and um i got into climbing i was living in Toowoomba at the time uh -huh. and if i wanted to come down to brisbane and do the pinnacle learn to climb course like the amount of effort that would have gone into like getting to Brisbane every weekend would have just been too ridiculous. So I ended up going to Thailand and learning in Tonsai. Okay. Which is a great place for beginner climbers, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Which is awesome because you can just go there, get a guide, and I did the whole like learn how to climb there, which is awesome. And had you climbed much prior to deciding to go to um, Thailand for in, the in, in a gym? So yeah, okay. I, you know, I'd started off at the classic birthday party in a climbing gym yep. and then just it escalated from there. That's a pretty big commitment to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to this rock climbing gym and then all of a sudden I'm going to a foreign country to learn rock climbing. That's that's pretty that's pretty cool, you know. That's like, classic Andrew, though. I feel like you don't do things by halves. Yeah, there's no point dipping your toes in. It's either happening or it's not. Particularly um, when it comes to climbing. And I know, I'd always been trending towards being a climber. So my old man was a climber and has a whole lot of mountaineering stories. And then just kind of, it's one of those things I grew up listening to them. I'd always been outdoorsy, so I did a lot of cross-country skiing uh -huh. kind of in school holidays. Did you out. grow up in Toowoomba yeah, then? Yeah, I grew or? up in Toowoomba. Okay, so then you went to the ski fields yeah, in yeah. Victoria or New yeah, South Wales? Yeah, went down the snow mountains and just yeah, okay. ski around. Okay. You know, trial by fire. I literally got taught by, here's how you put a backpack on, I'm standing there with a backpack. Here's how you put skis on. I was standing there with a backpack on and skis, and it's like, keep up. And it did. No. Was that a traumatic childhood no, experience was, or an exciting one? It was great. It was, um, I know, and I'd, I wouldn't change it at all. Yeah, okay. It was just a, a great way to learn, a great way to get out there. And, it, and you learn how to cross country ski, kind of skiing uphill and skiing on flats, and then all of a sudden there's a downhill, and you just. Going for again. it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, going for it. Yeah. Alrighto. Um, do you and your dad now trade stories? You know, like if you catch up with him, are you going like, oh, dad, you'll never believe I did X. And, you know, he's like, oh, back in my day, I did Y. And you oh, kind of yeah, because like, he's never impressed. Like when we oh. came back from the Dolomites, I was like, Phil, we, Andrew's dad's name is Phil. We climbed, you know, however many meters, I can't remember. And he was like, oh, is that all? <laughs> and I was like, oh. Yeah, he, he's got, he's a, a real hard man. So he reckons you need to be able to be climbing properly. You should be doing a thousand feet an hour. But he comes from, he comes from a mountaineering background. Uh -huh. But a mountaineering background where he used to cut steps. Yeah, so, right. So old school. Real old school. Yeah. So he came from like a cut step, like belaying off ice axe uh -huh. sort of, sort of 
an old weights belay sort of with around the wrap around yeah. the ice axe. And then because cool. he did a whole lot of stuff in South America, and yep. then I went to Peru at one point. And it's really good having someone who understands where you are as your person, like your emergency contact. Yeah. And you come back out of the mountains and you go, oh, we tried this one and we couldn't get to the top because there was like a big snow cone on the top of it and it was just digging through powder. And he goes, oh, it was like that 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool because your dad kind of would have, you know, not pioneered the sport in that, that era, but definitely would have been like a true adventurer in that time going to South America and climbing in those places there wouldn't have been too many yeah. other people who were really venturing out there yeah but he was he was getting around and having a, a great time and came up back with a whole lot of stories so he ended up soloing Aconcagua back oh in, nice and I, and I, I was, that was I, back in the day when gear in, was terrible and uh spirits were kept high because of morale and yeah. he had no one around so so, so he, he ended up finding an Argentine climbing team that was going in and they were all just too slow so he just went for it charged off and I think he'd lost eyesight at one point on the way out because he'd gone just because of the pressure in his eyes because okay. he changed altitude so quickly yep literally had to cut his tent out of the snow walk back down and then went oh, I feel really fit and then just went might as well finish it so he got his eyesight back and, and there's all these kind of really adventurous stories that you kind of you know listening to it as, as a kid you just go yeah I, I want to enjoy these same sorts of adventures Sounds like we've found and the next person for um, the podcast. <laughs> the saying, I don't yeah. know if Phil's ever bailed off anything, though. That's a yeah, thing. Well, <laughs> he has. I've heard that there's some wonderful bail stories. But he's got stories where he's you know climbing up couloirs and it warms up during the day. So a couloir's like a, a gully of ice. And it warms up during the day and then they turn into to shoots of, of rock. So you can't turn around and climb back down them because then you get hit in the back of the head by a rock. So then it goes up. So it warmed up. Rock started coming down the couloir. So I just had to keep climbing, and and some of these pretty epic stories that, that come okay. out of it. But he, he's also I know not great for my climbing because I go oh we you know I had a, went to the back of what's the name of it gravel with a mate didn't work out didn't get to talk anything told my old man and he went gravel not that hard. <laughs> oh, hard shoes to follow in yeah, but I yeah. mean probably helped though a lot because it opened up your mind to what could be done or what's possible so you yeah. probably wouldn't be so adventurous and so maybe bold if you didn't have the sort of the backing or sort yeah, of underpinning I, I think it gave me a really good foundation of this yeah. you know learning to camp properly learning to, to travel essentially like you know you're in an adventure sport. Yeah. Expeditioning. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I think that that's the thing is that, um, you know, expeditions or adventure style things is going to be uncomfortable. But if you don't do the foundations and the basics correct, then it really amplifies the amount of suffering you're going to do. And that that sort of suffering with poor sleep because you didn't have the right tent or the right equipment and then it got wet or you're cold starts to affect your mindset for being able to problem solve your way out of that adventure or you know yeah. your mind isn't as sharp and you don't make those crucial decisions at that right time to sort of see you through so yeah i think we've got to um you know be thankful for everything we learn um which kind of brings me to another question that i had for you guys now that you've been doing adventures and and being in this outdoor space for a while is there things that you can see that come from 
the adventures or you know those those bails or fails that you now use to negotiate life in the regular community and and the way you conduct business or, or go about doing your jobs yeah oh yeah i always say to people i'm a lot more fearless since i started climbing i mean i uh my background is very different from Andrew's, you know how you said before, like going back to what you were doing when you were 18. Mm. When I was 18, I was a professional dancer. I was working at the Moulin Rouge in Paris. Okay. So I, my arrival into climbing was completely different. I mean, my family always did like camping and outdoor activities, but not on the same level as that. Uh And, um, you know, so I guess as a result of that, I, because I was always like performing as a, a kid, I was always on stage there was always a degree of like, you just get on with it, you know, that old adage of the show must go on. Um, So I was always pretty fearless, but I think since I came into climbing, um, particularly when I was working back in news, because it's a highly stressful working environment, um, I was kind of like always, um, I think, inoculated against that because it's not anywhere near as stressful as climbing. Like you're not making life and death decisions on Mm -hmm. a day-to-day basis in the office. Um, So it always felt like, you know, I I always felt like I could handle the stress of my workplace because I was climbing. Okay. I mean, um, I mean no offense to women when I ask this, but Oftentimes, I notice that they're very or a lot more susceptible in their head game towards climbing in terms of there's a really noticeable time that they can be really sharp and switched on and focused. And then there's other times where they can be quite um, maybe nervous uh, about certain things like runouts or falling or, or just, you know, those sort of things. Is there, you want to shed any light on that? Is there things that sort of go in your world? Like, you know, is the stress of your normal day-to-day world affect your decision-making outside climbing? Or is it the opposite that, you know, um, you just haven't been doing it enough and Mm. then you you have this mental sort of challenge? That's an interesting question. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying about that observation Um, But then I'd also say, think about people like Hazel Finlay and, you know, there are a lot of women that are extremely fearless and I'm absolutely not one of them. Um, For me personally, um, when it comes to head game with climbing, um, my approach is that I'm not a professional climber. I don't make money from climbing. It's not my job. So if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it Uh or I'm going to do it in whatever way is fun. Mm -hmm. So for example, what I mean by that is like, I'm not going to lead something because I feel like I have to, I'll second or top rope it. Mm -hmm. I I think when I first came to climbing, I was a bit more like, I've got to lead this. I was climbing a lot more like sport back then. And I was like, I've got to lead this. I've got to get the send, whatever. Um, But I think over time, I just realized that what makes climbing fun is, to me personally, has nothing to do with, um, like the grades that I'm climbing or even the manner in which the style in which I'm climbing the mm-hmm. route, it's more, it's everything to do with where I am and who I'm with and, um, yeah, the full experience. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, I mean, <laughs> into in a degree. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, it's, this is about you guys, you know, and so it's getting to know you. So 
Um, that's cool. I mean, I might shoot that same sort of question to you, Andrew. I mean, I, I, I think it comes with because maybe I should say too that men and women both suffer from this. Yeah. Um, it's not gender yeah. specific. Yeah, I think climbing's probably taught me to be a way better communicator. Mm-hmm. Purely because, like, like, I've got some really good climbing partners out there, and you have to be one hundred percent on the same page with them. And you can't do that without communicating and well, it, especially when you're in like an alpine environment. And when you say that, can you put that into a context, in terms of an adventure context, where you've had to have this communication or, or commitment to them? Yeah, so like, um, when I was in Peru, I was with my friend Josh, mm-hmm. and we did a, some, a lot of climbing. For example, Alcamayo was the biggest thing we did there. And you've got to be able to have the confidence in each other, and also the communication to go, if I don't feel comfortable, or if you don't feel comfortable we can say it mm-hmm. and you can say why you feel it mm-hmm. and know that it's heard and I think that's really important because it's, there's a point where it's like single spit fork climbing if you, you know if you want to stop you can stop whenever you want yeah whereas when you end up in big objectives that even if they've got objective of danger there's you know the longer you're on the route the more dangerous it is mm-hmm. and also things don't feel right you probably shouldn't be there so you need yeah. to be able to communicate yeah, with and, someone else. And I think maybe just for people who are not sure what you're saying there, oftentimes you can get yourself into a situation, well, this is my experience and correct me if I'm wrong, but you can get yourself into a place where it feels fine and then all of a sudden the hairs on the back of your neck stand mm-hmm. up or there's something in your head saying this is weird or strange or wrong or you've got this sinking feeling in your stomach and it's really easy at that point to just keep going and not acknowledge it and hopefully what will happen is it just continues to get worse before it actually does turn worse um and i think at that point is where you need to say something hey you know i'm really nervous about the rock falling potential or you know maybe in the mountaineering situation avalanche danger or i've got a headache and i think sometimes you can hold that in in terms of fear that you're going to be judged as weaker than that other person, which in my experience is not the case. They always, my partners have always been like, oh, that's awesome because I was feeling a similar sort of thing and I was too nervous to say something. Or that at some point everyone's invested a lot of time and money and energy to get to that point and you don't want to let them down. But the mountain or the rock will always be there and so you can always come back. But if you have a really bad accident, there's a really good chance that you may never come back. Yeah, and, yeah. and even part of that, even if there's not objective danger, it's if you don't feel right, you need to be able to say it because as soon as you don't feel great, all of a sudden you're not as good of a layout mm-hmm. as you could have been. And you're, you're not, not as aware. And, and you're not watching as well and you're not you know, flaking the rope as perfectly. And all of a sudden, that little thing turns into a big thing really quickly. Yeah. So even this weekend gone, I just texted a mate who I was going to be climbing with and just went, yeah, I'm not leaving the ground today. And you just go... It's either right or it's not. Yeah. And and I think part of your question before was about what have I learnt from climbing, and I think a, a big part of it is I've learnt to make decisions quickly because mm-hmm. there's lots of scenarios where you've got to make a decision. It doesn't matter whether it's the right or the wrong decision. It's but, just right but, at the but, time. But you've got to make a decision because yeah. the worst thing you could do is stuff around for half an hour trying to figure out the right thing, and then you know if say a storm's coming and you stuff around for half an hour neither at the top or the bottom mm-hmm. and you're in the storm mm-hmm. whereas if you just make a decision about going up or down 
then at least when it comes, you're at one of them. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, and Andrew is exceptionally good at that. I am not so great at it. And again, like, I don't want to gender certain, um, like, traits. This is definitely the case for me. But I think maybe for a lot of women, we're kind of conditioned socially to be people pleasers. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be hard for me to, um, like, particularly I've, I've had this with Andrew in the past. It can be hard for me to say... Um, that I, you know, think that we should bail off of something because I don't want to hold him back. You know, he's stronger, he's more experienced than me. I don't want to ever feel like I'm letting the team down. But at the end of the day, like you are a team, you're only as strong as the weakest person Mm -hmm. that you climb with. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you sign up knowing that particularly with somebody as experienced as Andrew, like he knows what my limits are. Yeah. Yeah particularly a couple of years ago knew that better than I did so you know there was never any pressure from him but I felt internal pressure Uh to be able to accommodate other people and I think maybe that's something that you know society teaches women more than men is that we have to accommodate you know yeah and that can be not a great trait to bring over into climbing yeah I think that um you know I've been climbing for a while and I've I've seen the dynamics of of couples climbing together um, most of the time it's really good, but it's not the first time I've heard that sort of scenario mm. talked about. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully a lot of your listeners can appreciate the honesty that you're going through there. And, um, yeah, I think that that's something that we all have to be really mindful of is, is that oftentimes there is that, um, leader in terms of the person who's more experienced. And then there's the person who's maybe slightly less experienced and is getting dragged along a bit and, there is a point where that's totally fine until it's not, and then mm. that person needs to make that call. And, and most of the time, I imagine the internal guilt that you're feeling is far worse than the actual, you know, the reality of, of your decision. You know, if you had said, oh, I'm, I'm not interested in going any higher, I'm pretty sure your partner would have been like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I don't want you to feel anything. So let's, let's, let's go. Yeah. You know, let's leave. yeah. Andrew's never given me a hard time about not wanting to do something except maybe West BOR again, but that's for a whole different <laughs> What did you say earlier? Like just before he got here, you said something about West BOR. Maybe it's like a boy's trip. And I said, it's not a gender thing. It's a stupid person thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's probably stupid women out there that are going to be able to go and do the West side of BOR. Um, and if you do like reach out, I reckon. So, yeah. Yeah. Putting the call out now. If anyone out there wants to climb some serious vegetation, please, because I have no interest in doing it again. So, you know, a lot of people know me. I generally try to stay as positive and as fun and sort of, you know, childish as I can. But, um, can you guys think of a situation where you've had a really awesome compliment that you've just had to like accept, um, and just own it and just be like, oh yeah, that was really nice of that person to say. Wow. That's such a hard question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I know it's really hard to talk about yourselves, but you know, I feel like sometimes there's just like this one outstanding moment where someone, you know, famous might have been just coming over and just being like, yeah, good work. Or, you know, someone you looked up to as a role model has just come over and said, oh, great job on that. Or, you know, um, I was actually climbing at KP, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago and I was, I'm, I'm loud. I've got a loud voice. Uh-huh. And so I was just talking and mucking around. And from behind me, I heard this girl go, 
oh my god, you're the girl off the bail list. Nice. And I thought that was really nice. Just, just for that random girl who um, made Nicole's day, the smile she's got's about four metres <laughs> wide at the moment, so I, well done. I think her name was Nicole. I'm so sorry that if I've forgotten, I've been, Andrew will tell you, I'm the worst memory in the world. Um, but yeah, that was kind of nice. Okay, you see, know? there we go. Sharing a little positivity in because the world. Because I, I, I used to work in, t- I worked in TV for about nine years, and people used to recognise me all the time from that. But it was always in like the least convenient scenarios. Like one time we were at Canyon Gorge. Oh, you're organising the toilets. And I got recognised coming out of the showers in the campsite at Canyon Gorge when I had like my hair all messed up. And she was like, oh my God, you're that girl from TV. And I was like, oh God, no. <laughs> I think the moral of that story is just own it anyway. Yeah. You know? it's, it's their moment and they're happy just to see you no matter what. And you know, yeah. we're all human, we've got to shower or do whatever. and Yeah, yeah. it's always nice when people um, recognise your work, I guess. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I don't know, that's a hard question. That's a good question, Hank. Oh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> oh, that's oh. pretty depressing. We'll have to come back to that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess um, I feel like I've got a small insight. I might open it up to you guys and maybe just say, is there a couple of adventures or stories you want to share <laughs> so that I may not be aware of or know how to ask? So um, yeah. maybe I'll turn it... Maybe we'll start with Andrew because I feel like... Um, I've dominated like, this conversation. Well, no, I just sorry. feel like, um, you know, there might be something that he might say that might be completely different to you. He's got a lot more... He's got a richer history to draw from. And... Yeah. and it doesn't have to be together. It can be individually yeah. or, or together or whatever. Oh. Do you want to talk about Coomera Gorge? <laughs> oh, <laughs> hell yeah. I can talk about Coomera Gorge. <laughs> oh, I've had, a, I've had many, a, many a fun time in Coomera Gorge. Just for all the listeners to, uh, it's fully illegal and um, not supposed I, to I go I did it there. before it was closed. Is, yeah, isn't okay. that when you did it as well? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 So I think, it, I think it closed in the... <laughs> must have been in the 80s. And um, we, we all did it before then. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. Um, so I've slept in it one time uh-huh. because we, we couldn't find the truck out. Oh, I've done exactly the same. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> the, for, for those who haven't done Coomera Gorge, it's like a slot canyon, so there's only really one way in or out. And when you get to the bottom, it's really hard to find the way out. Like, it's just long it, It's actually and... called the Mystery Trail Out, if anyone is um, looking for it, and it's actually quite a mystery. I think nowadays it's actually pretty easy to find. It's, it's not because um, they've removed all the tape. Oh. So, so Queensland had a bit of a inter- like co- uh, canyoning insurgency that couldn't go to the Blue Mountains for a long time. So I think everything got over canyons during COVID, and parks have really gone out of their way to make it hard. And that includes removing every scrap of tape on that yeah, track. Right. So if you've not done that track before, you Good won't find, you won't find it. So probably the best beta is take someone who knows where they're going. Yeah. Because I probably did it last time. A while ago. A while ago. When it was uh, legal. When it was legal. <laughs> and um, there was no markers. We actually walked past the entrance to the track because any everything's changed in that river since it's been washed out a few times. Yep. And all the markers that... It, that you'd normally look for to go to the right part of the bank are gone, so it's it's pretty hard to find. And and maybe just to add some info there too, I think a lot of my near fatal experiences or close calls 
have been canyoning. So yeah. don't take canyoning as like this really easy, relaxed, fun sort of adventure. It can turn from fun and a casual day out to pretty serious really, really quickly. And so anyone who's doing canyoning really needs to think about what they're doing and, and the, 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 the emergency plans if something goes yeah. wrong. Particularly but, in a place like Coomera where there's really very few ways to get out mm-hmm. when you're well, midway it's through. Not, it's not even that. It's, it's the, the timeliness of the thing. So in a canyon, if something goes wrong, you need to re- be responding in 10 seconds. Because it's not like climbing where someone's sitting on the end of the road having a whinge. Yeah. You're it's, in it, water. It, yeah, they're, they're, actually, you're, you're, for you're, everyone you're, who your doesn't know... Your friend is getting waterboarded. Yeah. So it's not... You need to know what you're doing in 10 seconds to save your friend. It's you need to be doing it in 10 seconds. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into it where you don't have the redundancy of time that mm-hmm. you've got in climbing. It's a... If something goes wrong, it's going to go wrong quickly. Yep. And you need to respond quickly because you... you it's not just fancy sailing when you add a lot of water, it turns very quickly into you've just drowned your friend. Yep. Yep. And it's slippery and it's cold. And normally there's only one way out because once you pull that first rope for the abseil, you're committed to the whole canyon. And so um, maybe we should just cover off on what canyoning actually is too for people. Like basically canyoning is a situation where a river normally carves a, a slot or a canyon or a gorge into the side of a rock face and it's normally steep sided and so you've got this cool situation where you're abseiling down a series of waterfalls swimming through like rock pools maybe a couple of jumps or slides and so um, the water's normally mountainous and so it's fresh and cold and it's always normally well it's normally covered in trees so it has this feel of dark and eerie as well so um yeah it's a pretty cool experience if you ever get a chance like the blue mountains are notoriously awesome canyoning in australia and so if you get a chance definitely do it um but yeah i think if you're going to go and do canyoning take someone who knows what canyoning is like for your first trip and i think like you know i talked about vertical rescue skills and like rope skills at the start i think that's even more imperative in canyoning than Uh it is in in rock climbing yep yeah it's pretty true so and, and when you add white water, which is the next level on top of canyoning, it gets to a, a whole extra level where the hydraulics yeah. will... Yeah. You need and, to be able to read what the water's doing. Yeah, and, 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 and you need to be able to react very quickly to what that yep. water's doing. Cause it, and, and even, I think it was last year, two people died in the Blue Mountains. They got sucked into the whirlpool. Yeah. just appeared in, a, in yep. a canyon that had been run by people for like a hundred years yeah and then all of a sudden a whirlpool appeared and sucked two people under yeah so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on with water that is intense and never do canyoning if it's threatening to rain because the yeah. amount of water in the watershed can easily make the canyon that looks really tame at the beginning of the day into a raging river which can be so dangerous. So. Yeah. Particularly if you don't know the kind of patterns of that particular yes. area. Like we did some canyoning in Slovenia, which I would highly recommend for anybody who is remotely into canyoning. Um, but we, like the weather was a little kind of unpredictable when we were there and we went and asked like a local guide. I mean, we didn't go with a guided party, but we went and talked to people mm-hmm. and kind of, figured out the patterns of the area before going in. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that a lot of times the local people, if you ask them, 
are receptive to giving off yep. information because the last thing they want is to either have to be part of doing a rescue or having another, you know, outside tourism person getting injured or, or de, you know, bringing yeah. sort of shame to well, their Well, it area. impacts their tourism. Yeah. It ruins their brand as a, mm. as a place yeah. to do to go and do it if, yeah. if all of a sudden they've got a lot of tourists getting disappearing. Injured. Yeah, because yeah. people, like punters reading the newspaper, don't know if that person's died in a guided tour or not, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, and then you missed the track. <laughs> so, yeah, missed the track. Did, did laps. I reckon we went past it three or four times uh-huh. last time just to, before you established where it was, and then it took a whole lot of walking around before we actually got into anything we knew. So Which it was, was about the time you got benighted. I did. I said I slept there. <laughs> should, should I should I probe yeah, yeah. so um when you say you got benighted did you have all the appropriate camping gear or was it a shiver bibby um so what we had is we had four people and we had two foil blankets and we sticky taped them together so uh-huh. four people would fit under them yeah um I was probably about 30 centimeters taller than everyone else so I got to be under a foil blanket and in my backpack yeah, okay. Um, it was very uncomfortable. Were, were your teeth uncontrollably chattering? Oh, it was okay, but um, I wouldn't call it a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was character building though. Are yeah, those, those character building. And, and after that, I never thought I'd not be able to find that walk out again. And um, sure enough, nearly yeah. happened twice. Yeah. <laughs> right, Yeah, I mean, it's not that easy just for anyone going there. And yeah. I mean... Okay, can I ask another question? So you did your overnight forced sort of stay. Yep. Um, the three other people, are they still your mates? I don't hear from any of them anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> Friendship <laughs> over. Yeah, right. Okay. And um, was that because you were the leader and they didn't trust you anymore? Or what sort of, is that just another, just like... Uh, that's just another. Era? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And from that experience of staying out overnight, sort of unplanned, is there anything that you would do differently as in maybe the equipment that you would have taken there's so so many lessons to be learned so um in in the car park that morning i had a wetsuit uh one of the other people had a wetsuit and two people didn't someone made the joke about being shorts weather and then we all just committed to go through without wetsuits the big lesson there was because we're all so cold we were incredibly slow Uh because we were incredibly slow we only took ages to get down. We kind of only just hit where the walking track was as it hit night. Uh-huh. Couldn't figure out where the walking track went. It just turned into a bit of a... Do we go further down the river to find a different exit? Do we yeah. not? Walking down a creek in the dark is incredibly slow. You don't go yeah. anywhere. So it just turned and into... And it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah, and it just turned into a... Uh, D- sleep, sleep it off and yeah. sort it out the next day. And, I mean, obviously... Um, canyoning for me, if it's not a dry canyon and it's got a, the chance of getting wet, is always wetsuit territory. Mm. Um, I'm yeah. not sure if you had that experience where you got so cold that it's really hard to use your yeah. hands, the dexterity is gone, yeah. and that's really dangerous territory. Because I've, I've done a, a bit of canyoning in New Zealand as well, and mm-hmm. there it's freezing. Yeah. You're wearing thermals and like a steamer wetsuit and booties and everything else, and you're still freezing. Yeah. And you can tell that like the consequences of hypothermia yeah. it's on the edge isn't it well you don't even need to get hypothermic as soon as you get to the point where you have trouble using your hands or like feeling how you're manipulating a rope it's just a 
it's only downhill from there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the thing about Coomera too, you know, like I'm, I'm sure for people listening who haven't canyoned before, are kind of like, oh, well, it's southeast Queensland, like how cold can, oh. can it get? Yeah. But when it's water coming straight out of, you know, underground and there's no sunlight getting mm-hmm. in there and you're standing in that water for a long period of time, particularly like the Hours. larger the party yeah. is that you go with, like four people yeah. is almost too many for Coomera unless yeah. everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So it, it really does all that up. And then when you add on top of that, the fact well, that it was winter... And oh, Jesus. Like, it was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no wonder you got stuck <laughs> well, out. We had a friend probably risk hypothermia in Burnett Creek, which is That's a, right. a, yeah. a, a yeah. much smaller canyon. Yeah, shorter, less water, like mm. yeah. less potential to get so, wet. But, but part, like, I was a lot more experienced by the time we did that. So yeah. it, was, it was kind of reading a situation where we had the right equipment. We were had a whole lot better rope technique uh-huh. there. And you kind of went, this person's obviously not doing well. And out comes a hood, and you go put this on before you need it. Yeah. So that you don't get hypothermic. Yeah. And it, it's about having the right equipment and being prepared for those things. And a lot of the canyoning trips I do now, there's always a thermos of tea. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, the, to just, warm up the core. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's been other minor epics where we, I had a, a friend freeze on a on a rope, and she was genuinely frozen. Now we're talking about as in like um, oh, couldn't move, paralyzed, could, frozen, could move. not yeah. as in frozen cold. No, yeah. so, yeah. so she first canyon, I think. Oh, oh, she, she canyon before, oh, she had but, it. But this, um, it had rained a lot, so it was pretty it was, cool. It, this, this was um, Bat Creek Canyon, uh-huh. but so we've gone through high flow. We're deliberately abseiling in the flow because it's more exciting. It's exciting. Um, yeah. But we're also rigging to rescue, so if something goes wrong, we can sort it out straight away. Yeah. Um, had a friend at the bottom who'd gone first, had a whistle, me at the top, watching what's going on. So she, she was a bit smaller than everyone else. She got put, pulled over into the, the flow. Uh-huh. Pushes on her stomach, makes it a bit hard to breathe. Yes. But also, as the water pushes on your stomach, it kind of pushes up around. Yes. And, and you don't, when you're struggling to breathe and there's water, you don't want to put your head underwater. So uh-huh. what she needed to do was commit to the abseil, get all the way down. Instead, she froze. Because um, obviously, it's not a, the most pleasant thing to do. So we... Friend at the bottom watching, whistles going, I can see what's going on. I went, hey, I'm going to lower you. She couldn't hear me say that because she's literally in a waterfall right now. So then I began lowering her off um, to, to a scream because obviously she didn't realise that she was about to get lowered. Yeah. Um, got her to the ground. We reckon within 10 seconds of her freezing on the rope, she... She was on the way down. 30 seconds, she was on the ground. Mm-hmm. In less than three minutes, she had a cup of tea in her hands. Yeah. And it's one of those things where all of a sudden, you've got a cup of like a tea just filled with honey and it's kind of warm. All of a sudden, something that could have been quite a traumatic, traumatic. experience. Mm-hmm. You go, I remember being scared, but then all of a sudden, I remember holding a cup of tea. So I don't think it was that scary. Yeah. Which is, is kind of really where, where yeah, you need to okay. be at. That's cool. Do you want to dock Nicole in for a, um, a moment? Anything oh, you got? God, I mean, she dogged into Coomera, so I feel it's only fair to exchange blows. Oh. Well, he'd be dobbing himself in too, because the majority of the adventure climbing I've done has been with you personally. Do, do we need to talk about those times you blame me on the Munter Hitch? Oh, no, let's Oh, hell yes, we are. We're going there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to die. I feel like we should have been okay. recording this as well for facial expressions. Okay, so look, I just want to say it was one time. And hang and on, I, hold that yeah, thought. Okay. 
For anyone who doesn't know, a munter's hitch is the most basic form of causing friction to belay with. And so basically you use a special friction series of bending the rope over a carabiner to, to make it hold. And that's what they used after body belay. Then they started using a munter's hitch or an Italian uh, hitch. Um, so yeah, okay, keep going it, with that story. It can be incredibly handy if you do what I did on that occasion and you forget your belay device and leave it on the ground. Uh-huh. Then you can belay your second up. Um, you look yep. so happy that you know this story. I don't know the story Everybody's going to know it as yeah. well. Okay, so I thought that I knew how to do a munter hitch. Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just belay you up on a munter. Anyway, Andrew got to the top and realized that I had been belaying him on not a munter hitch, basically. Oh, cool. yeah, so just two wraps around the carabiner for a bit of friction. It was really just two wraps around the carabiner. Because yeah. Nicole went, seems, seems good. I climbed up, got there. You know, at the end of a, a pitch, you go, ah, oh, that was pretty pretty comfortable. And you look up and you go, I'm, I'm not on belay. Yeah. I, okay, so I knew part of the way, like, as I was belaying him, uh-huh. I was like, that is not right. But he was off the ground. Yeah, you're committed. And it was quite an easy route. So I was like 99% sure that he wasn't going to fall. I didn't want to say anything uh-huh. because I feel like that's way worse. Yeah. And so I was just like the whole time mentally preparing myself for like how badly he was going to roast me when he got to the top. I mean, it must have been all right because he's still climbing with you. So, yeah, you know, like, it's keep... pretty bad. Like that was a pretty tragic, um, you know, uh, like I, I, I thought I knew, but I hadn't practiced in a uh-huh. while, you know. So I guess that's another thing. Like, you know, don't just, well, I don't mean, assume. unless you, unless you were just really good at internalizing rope skills, but like for me, it's a constant refresher mm-hmm. over and over again, remembering yeah, how yeah. to do certain skills. Although I will say, I don't think I could ever mess up a Monty Hitch again. Oh, that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I okay. sat in the car on the way home and, and like practiced. practicing. Yeah, you know, roasting that you've got since. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, sometimes the, the punishment on the pressure of yourself mm. is way worse than the pressure or, you know, torment that someone else can put on you. And so, yeah, that's cool. And if it's any consolation, there's still things that I need to refresh in my mind if I haven't done them for a while. Um, you know, I'll, I might not necessarily need to do them um, physically anymore. I can often just picture those steps in my mind. Yeah. But I, it's a really good point. If you're not using those skill sets really regularly, is before going out, to a point where you may need to use them is to you know spend a bit of time with that person you're climbing with just refreshing them so you yeah. both know that you're on the same page yeah, yeah. totally um and one other thing i do want to talk about um you know one of our most notorious non-bails um because i wanted to bail but couldn't um was when we went to frog together for the first time and andrew made me climb resurrection corner okay nice i climb. never crack climbed before though okay and not so good there's for you then. no face holds no. on that route at all um should i give some a, context yeah to this res- yeah please so, so resurrection corner is a classic test piece um climb that has like a a dual splitter and so you can kind of have left hand in the left side right hand in the right side if and you then... know how to crack climb you can do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then it gets to this really awesome kind of like bunker at the top that you can just kind of pop into and sort of just hang out in and so um yeah. you, you're right there's absolutely very few face holds that would mm. be 
helpful. So, And there's also very few ways to bail as a second because uh, the way that the anchor system works is you get to the top and you kind of walk through this little cave and the anchor's on the other side mm -hmm. of the cave. So in order to retrieve your rope, you have to abseil down another, yeah, yeah. another route. Yeah. Um, and so I got maybe like a quarter of the way up and I was like, this is impossible. Like, I cannot climb this route. And we were quite early. In fact, I don't we, even we think we'd started dating we at dating that it. point. Um, and so I was like trying to be cool and like, whereas now I just feel like, fuck this. You have to... Language warning. <laughs> <laughs> you have to figure out a way to lower me off the route. But back then I was like trying to be cool. So when I was like, oh, I, I, I don't think I can do this. Andrew was like, you have to do it because no one else can retrieve the gear that I've put in as I climbed it. Um, and so I was like, well, oh no, I've got to just figure out a way to do it. And that's how I learned to French free because I just pulled on gear the whole way up because there was just no other possible way I could have done it. But then... It started raining oh, as I was you climbing, climbing it. Yeah. yeah right, nice. There's a photo. The, the, the important thing to remember is I was sitting in the Belay cave. Oh, so you I, were I was perfectly dry. Yeah. And this is Nicole's first trip to Prague and it's raining and I'm forcing her up something. Because so a hard, tip for young like... players, if you want to impress a girl, sandbag her super hard. Worked for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you must have known that she really liked you after that because, you know, did, she still, did, did it take a few days for you to talk to her again or were you just well, like... we climbed another route after that, but here's the, like, this is, I'm just going to jump Andrew really in it. We, we climbed another route after that and we were sitting at the top on a ledge looking at this beautiful view and I was like, he's, this is so romantic. He's going to kiss me. And then he didn't. He just was like, all right, let's go down now. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm in the friend zone then. <laughs> um, but yeah, Resurrection Corner, not a good time when you are not a good craft climber and when it's raining. And Andrew was like, oh, it never rains at Buna. Because it was a little bit, it was like, you know, 30% chance of right. rain on the forecast. Well, it's normally a safe bet that if, if, if it's going to rain in the Glasshouse Mountains or somewhere else when you're climbing, you go to Prague and it's dry. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it was the whole time I was there, it's just when you were climbing and rain. <laughs> it, it was just the uh, sort of anniversary of that particular uh, day that we went out recently and Andrew sent me some photos from it and you could see the water on my helmet from the rain in one of the photos. So it was like, it was properly raining. Oh, that's um, so good. So yeah, that was a time that I wanted to bail off a route that we did together, but couldn't bail. And Andrew, <laughs> was that the time you knew she was a keeper or was it like, did it take a little bit longer? To oh, sort the, of... the, there were some big questions. She whinged uh it's a 40 meter pitch. She wins for about 35 meters. Uh -huh. so, was... <laughs> so you're questioning whether or not this yeah. is going to work out, eh? Like... Yeah, right. <laughs> and I still winch up 40 meter pitches to this day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and every now and then when we walk past Rose Corner, I suggest we do it and I get the dirtiest The death stare. I have yeah. climbed it again since then, but it was, um, you know, I still Frenched a couple of moves, but it was a little bit easier. Good on you for getting outside your comfort zone a bit more. So. Yeah. Um, and how much longer was it until he actually did sort of um, unfriend box you? I, don't, I well, think you unfriend boxed yourself. I, don't I think. did. <laughs> ladies, I'm, all I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you want something done, do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, if you right. like someone and they're not making a move... Just grab their face and make out with it. I was too Sometimes busy. I was you just got to take action. Um... <laughs> oh, it's a pretty common sort of thing for most male rock climbers. They're so ignorant to like the yeah. advances of a woman. So, um, boys, if there's anything you can learn, like 
maybe just take your head out of rock climbing for a few minutes and grab a girl. It's actually not yeah. that bad. So, yeah. Um, all right. Um, you want to share another one? Have we got time for that or what are we doing? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we can, yeah, we can just keep going. <laughs> Have you got any others? We, we had a great day. Um, at, we, we climbed in Tonsai in Thailand um, and we went out, we hired a boat and we went out to um, one of like the sea cliffs that's in the middle of the ocean um, and climbed out there. But uh, the thing about it is, a couple things about it, um, evidently it's, you know, hard, you know, technically the rope skills required to access the route are tricky. And the guy who we rented the boat off of, the driver, um, obviously knew that people struggled on it historically because he was like, okay, before we go, I'm going to like get my dinner. And, you know, he was like prepared to be out there all night, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got out there and we had to ascend this like old kind of manky bit of rope that Uh was like brushing the ocean oh, and it was it was well you didn't ascend the road ha- so. hang on can i just try and paint the picture a yeah, bit sure, better so sure. um at some stage you've caught a boat out to this climbing area okay. and at the start of the climbing area it's too so, steep so or it's, too it's high it's overhung yeah so there's like this old fixed rope that's uh-huh. just like dangling uh, to, to, to get to the starting anchor yeah because yeah, yeah. the water's like this is the literally a bit of rock and, that's yeah. come straight out of the ocean so the water's like undercut mm-hmm. the start of the rock so it's like a big cave so, yeah so it starts off with me jumaring this rope that's like got fluff hanging out the sides of uh-huh. it and like, for everyone who doesn't know jumaring is like a, a mechanical device that you can use to slide up the rope of grabs yeah and you use that to sort of climb and, the and rope. like a one-way pull and yeah and i'm kind of wearing all the, the climbing gear yeah so i'm going if this were so currently nicole's in the boat with the guy holding stopping the boat smashing into the rock yeah. so uh-huh. under, under, under old clear. mate pulls out a stick and just like braces it against the wall to like keep the boat from I'm crashing into, into the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm dumaring, so there's just water under me, boats a few meters away, dumaring up this, this rope and kind of every move you can hear it creak. Uh-huh. So you're just going, at some point this is just going to pop uh-huh. and there's me with, you know, it's only rapid quick draws and stuff but it weighs enough that I'm like, I'm going to sink. <laughs> I'm going to sink if this goes. <laughs> so dumaring up this, kind of get to the anchor, you know, it's all good. So I brought a rope up with me so Nicole can come up this nice, beautiful climbing rope. Because yeah. that was the other thing about the rope that Andrew ascended was that it had all alpine butterfly knots in it. Uh-huh. So he had to pass like half a dozen knots on the yeah, way up. Because it was, it, obviously it had Some been so would, dodgy that people would be like, I'm just going to tie another knot in it so that it's <laughs> fine. Um, so then I get this fixed rope up so Nicole can you know, come up a, a really nice... Clean, clean rope, yeah. Um, and we realise at that point that Andrew has never taught me how to jumar. Oh, I taught you how to jumar in the boat on the way out there. So, <laughs> I. So this, 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 like... this, this is some of my favourite bits about interviewing couples and talking about couples climbing <laughs> trips, actually. So, yeah, keep going. This is about maybe two years into climbing for me, and and I had not really done a whole lot of adventure climbing at all at that point. Uh-huh. So the first time I held a Jumar in my hand and even really like learned what it was, was like as Andrew was about to take off uh-huh. up that rope and he was like, this is how you use it and this is how you put it on and then just like leaves. And I was like, oh, <laughs> just staring yeah. at these foreign devices in my hand being like, I have no idea. <laughs> but for anyone who hasn't used one before, it looks like a simple device until you actually have to use one, right? And what the, the crazy thing with all awesome skills 
is when you see someone who's proficient at jumaring, they make it's it look so effortless easy. and easy, yeah. right? And then you get on, and it's like an absolute show. Particularly yeah. when... See how I, I, I <laughs> muted that one for you? So, we, yeah. Particularly when the rope is free-hanging, uh-huh. and there's That's no the rock or anything yep. frictionless that you can like use to propel yeah. yourself up. Because you basically want to tip head down towards... Uh, you know, the centre of gravity wants to force you to do weird things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that was that was yeah. the time. But you, you got yourself up. You, you thought you had yourself on and kind of stepped off the boat and just, just swang. And it would have been like millimetres between the coal and I the water. I the water. And I was like, I don't think this is on right. And, and the guy on the boat's just looking at me being like, I'm going to be And the way, you, you, the way you'd fed a few things through just added friction to everything. So there was no way that you were going up or down. Uh-huh. And then you could, the, the guy on the boat thought it was hilarious, you could tell. But then dragging the coal back onto the boat, kind of, I'm, I'm 20 metres above kind of yelling directions. Like yelling instructions about how to put the Jumar on correctly uh-huh. and the, and the um, Grigri. Yeah, because you're going out with the Jumar and the Grigri. Uh-huh. Like oh, you that. had the old school technique. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then um, eventually it worked out. You got up. It was it was very um, inefficient. But... Yeah, the guy was just like, had absolutely no faith in us whatsoever. Every, like, 20 really minutes great, but... or so, he'd like come back around in the boat and just make sure we were still alive. <laughs> But we did, you know, um, he was impressed that we didn't run into any trouble uh-huh. before it got dark. And it was a spectacular day and an amazing place to climb. So worth the yeah. trauma. And, the and it was amazing. We were probably 50, 60 metres off the deck. There's nothing below us but ocean. Uh-huh. And there's just massive jellyfish that you can see from that high up. And you just go, wow. Oh, cool. It was amazing. And, yeah. It, it was perfectly vertical. It was amazing. And... I mean, this might be a bit off topic, but um, you guys have been climbing together for a while. Do you think that's helped or hindered your relationship? I think it's helped our relationship, hasn't it? Because um, the level of communication that you use in climbing is, you know, like no other situation, really. You know, you have to be completely open about everything and there's no room for you know, keeping secrets or mm-hmm. not hiding mm-hmm. your feelings. Not that I yeah, am yeah, a proponent yeah. of that anyway, but, but... But you also get to see each other in a whole lot of stressful environments. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's really, you know, if you see someone out of their comfort zone, you can really see who they are. Yeah. yeah. It, it, strips, it strips people away to their sheer basic... Um, yeah. fundamental characteristics, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. We, we've and, said a few times, like, if we can handle, you know, what an insert oh, expedition we, we, here, we, we, we did can the first handle two anything. Pi- we did the first two pictures of the BY bolt route and uh-huh. slept in a hammock. Uh-huh. And we decided that once, you, once you've done that, you can do anything because it was just so and, uncomfortable. It's and, pretty hard. And, and was, um, the question that I have for you is did you guys string it between the overhang <laughs> and the wall or did you go just against the wall? We tried a few it? different we, methods. Yeah, yeah. We ended up going against the wall. Yeah, oh, okay. Ended up being yeah, that would suck. A little bit against the wall. Yeah. And it was a two-person hammock uh-huh. that we'd never been in until that moment. Uh-huh. Can I just say, that is a marketing point. No hammock is a two-person hammock when gravity is involved because you both just go, go straight into the middle what, and you're on top of each other. Were you doing head to tail or... Head both? to tail. Yeah. So I just had Andrew's gross ass, like, 
full day of climbing feet on my face <laughs> and I I'm gonna tell you I didn't even care because yeah, okay. my face was warm and it was beautiful <laughs> and it was stanky but I was just fine with it and, and this is this is a personal question but are you a side sleeper or a back sleeper well you have to be a back sleeper when you're in yeah, a hammock yeah, 70 yeah. meters off the deck yeah yeah it but was... if you're naturally a side sleeper hammocks suck yeah, yeah. Well, I was so tired, I think I could have slept in any position and been uh-huh. absolutely fine with it. I woke up in the morning and my shoulder was all wet and I realised that the rock that I was lying against had been seeping all night. Oh, nice. And I did not even notice until morning. And did you draw the short straw for the inside or the outside? Um, I don't know. I, think, I, think I, was, I think I was just on top of you. Yeah, it, you it, literally... It, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah it we yeah. could figure out a comfortable way. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, oftentimes the best position in the portal edge is wall side because, yeah. you know, like everything is accessible and there's no, like, sort of wake up in the middle of the night to, like, you slipping off the edge of the portal edge <laughs> and just realising there's a long distance between you and the ground, so... Well, yeah. I, I was worried I'd wake up in the middle of the night needing to pee, but I, I have to say, like, peeing off of a, like, a hammock was one of the most fun things that I've ever done. I just, like, giggled the entire time. I was like, this is great. Uh, It's funny how those, like, real simple basic things stripped away. You think you're going to be so embarrassed, but in the minute you're just like, I've just got to go, so I'm doing it, you know? It's a good time. Yeah, we, we did go and buy a portal edge after that. Yeah, yeah. Best, best money you've ever invested in. I life. think so. Yeah. The problem with the hammock is if you sleep in a hammock and it's a two-person hammock, so it's like three metres long, uh-huh. you've then got to build an anchor mm. that's yeah. three metres long. Yep. And and flat too, because if you have it like going on an any, angle, any you're on Yeah. And yep. that's the thing about the UR as well. There's so many bolts up there that you have to choose from. Like we tried a few different... Configuration. Yeah, there's an awful lot of bolts where you're like, I don't want to choose that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's not ideal for sure. Yeah. yeah. I've got two questions to go that kind of lead into each other. Um, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Such a good question. Do you have any? I reckon I'd like to hang out with Messner. Mes- okay. Randall Messner. Yeah. What about Andy Kirkpatrick? He's your yeah, man I, crush. I know he's my man crush. I reckon he'd be a terrible cook. I wouldn't have to yeah, But you could oh, go to a restaurant. I, I do have the next question after that. So yeah. <laughs> don't, don't worry about the food question yet. Okay. Yeah, I, I, Andy Kirkpatrick would be great. But um, Reinhold Messner. Yeah. Well, you got oh. one more. You can have all three of them. You can have three. Yeah. I don't know. Who would you have? What about... Um, you can choose the lady of your life. Like, I mean, you know... Like, that's pretty say, lame, though. <laughs> I know. But if you wanted to get brownie points, then... What about Uli Stag? Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, saw him in, I saw him in person once and was just too nervous. I just, like, looked at him. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Opportunity gone begging. And then at that dinner, what would you serve them? <laughs> oh. Oh, it'd be really funny to serve them all one of those dehydrated meals. Just, <laughs> <laughs> like a backcountry like meal. Like a backcountry dehydrated <laughs> meal. Yeah. Hey man, just, those apple pies just, are just to, sick. Just to watch them all look really disappointed that, that their okay. life has lent to having a backcountry meal. In, in the War of Mongols recently, because we were there for six nights, I'd organised the menu for six nights, and then Nicole had a complaint to some of our friends that were there that she got left out of the cooking. Because I'd organised the menu, so then I did all the cooking. 
And then she's like, what am I meant to do? Andrew does not let me cook, which for good reason, because I'm not a fantastic cook. But I feel bad because I feel like people don't know that I'm not, uh, that I am not included. I'm not involved. <laughs> I'm not allowed to uh, be partake in the uh, bush cooking. Strengths you know? and weaknesses, and you just need to accept both sides are important. Yeah. 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 Also, Andrew likes to have full control. Oh. Of the culinary experience. Oh, food's very important. Like, <laughs> and, Andrew, if you let her do the night's meal prep, what would that look like? Would, would oh, that... It'd look like burnt rice. It's crunchy rice. Yeah, okay. Crunchy rice is Nicole's specialty. Yeah, okay, yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, Andrew, this is really uh, directed at you. Given that your partner is the um, brainchild of the bail list, uh, how does that make you feel? Um, when it was created, it was very much directed at the fact that I seem to come off more things than I get up. Um, uh, yeah, it, well, it, you know, it's a personal joke because we, and, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, that we just joke that instead of a tick list, we have a bail list. Uh-huh. Um, we just frequently bail off things, right? Yeah, and, and part of it's the adventure, part of it's like, you go, it's, it's too warm, we're going to come off, like, you, you find the line in the sand where you go, this is fun. If we do another pitch, it won't be as fun. And uh-huh. you go, yeah, that's the point. So, you know, it's a hobby. It's really better to be enjoyed. And you've got to find your way to enjoy it. And, mm-hmm. you know, for some people that might be like, you know, climbing a really steep pebble. For me, it's just getting out there and enjoying it. Yeah. And I've got to say, like, a lot of the wisdom that I impart, well, hopefully it's wisdom that that we impart on this podcast is um, a direct result of the experiences that I've had from climbing with Andrew. Because, um, you know, I was always interested in, like, adventure climbing and and climbing longer routes, but it wasn't until I met Andrew that I was really able to do that because Mm -hmm. I didn't really have anyone in my life that was also interested in that until I met him. So... Um, yeah, a lot of the things that I've learned are from, you know, climbing with him or talking with him. Um, and he's got so much experience and, you know, I'm surrounded by people with a lot of experience and, you know, I realized that, um, you know, the, the climbing experience for a beginner is very different now to how it was when any of us started climbing where you were directly mentored by someone who knew a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and was a reliable source. Whereas yeah. now a lot of the time it can be people with six months experience teaching someone with one month of experience. Yeah. So or YouTube. Yeah, or YouTube. And and while those are good resources, you know, it's always good to um, you know, be able to look stuff up on YouTube, but I think nothing beats having actual mentors. And and that's what I wanted to create with this podcast because I don't really have the wealth of knowledge, but I am a journalist and I know how to ask people questions. Uh And I know a lot of people that are extremely experienced and would be great mentors for people starting out in climbing. And those are the voices that I wanted people to hear. And this is not, you know, in lieu of a vertical rescue course or, Uh you know, learning how to lead climb or anything. It's in addition to those things. But I think it's so important to hear that even if you have 12 years of climbing experience and you've climbed El Cap and you've done this and that, you can still get into a pickle. So it's always important to know as much as possible and to always be careful. But it's also really important to cover the other side of climbing media. 
So there's so much climbing media out there that goes, look at these people, they got to the top. Yes. Look at this person, they're climbing the hardest. Yeah. What you need, you need to see outside of that is, here's some people that are having a great time, but they didn't get to the top. Yeah. And here, here's the person having like the best fun, yeah. but they're not climbing that hard. They just have realized that there's so many good grade 16s in the world. Why would they want to climb any harder than that? Yeah. Or like going, I'm having the best fun because when I'm on grade 16, I'm comfortable. I can enjoy being here as opposed to like even push into an 18 where you're I'm a bit more engaged. I don't get to enjoy the view. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and part of that's also going, the top's not the important bit. It's the experience. So get as far up as you're having a good time and then yeah. come down. Yeah. And whether, whether you're coming down because it's hot or, or, because you don't feel like you've got it that day, or whether you just go, I'm here to hang out, and like, it's lunchtime. Like, yeah. you don't yeah. need to, to push and, on. And I think too, like, stretching that level of comfort, no matter how big or small it is, actually helps you unlock that next level. And so, once you've bailed on a 16, you know what a 16's like, and it's not as mentally challenging to do a 16 or that 16 next time. And so, stretching a little bit and then coming back to your comfort or your core comfort, and then stretching a bit more is always a really easy yeah. way to start to make your comfort level shift up slightly. Well, it also means when you push grades and you get onto harder things, that will probably also become harder to get off. Yeah, you've got that skill set. Yeah, it pays dividends because you know it's, it's really if every climb you did was a single pitch, got to an anchor, and you came down, it'd be really easy. But when you get a bit more adventurous, mm -hmm. it's not that way. Yeah, and when you start adding traverses and all these really obscure things in. Getting back off gets really important. Yeah, even and overhangs, that can be challenging, you know, and yeah. in Thailand there's a couple of climbs where you have to like, you know, back repel or clean just to, mm. to yeah. get, get to the anchors, so. Yeah. yeah, but I think too, like, bailing makes you more fearless in a way because once you eliminate the idea that you have to get to the top, uh -huh. it opens up a lot more possibilities, you know, you can go and try something that's well above your pay grade yeah. because you can you, you know mentally like. yeah you know that yeah. you can just bail yeah there's if you no, can't do it no you like, just bail. Oh, what will happen if something happens it's like well you know what happens and you got yourself out of it and so you're prepared yeah um i remember when i started climbing and this was quite a while ago there wasn't really that much um youtube and so I had to, you know, find magazines with like little captions and articles and I learned by pictures and trial and error on my balcony at my house, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's just see how this kind of goes. But, <laughs> oh, um, I, I, back in the day, I learned a lot from the Petzl catalogs. Yeah, me those, too. Those were the things yeah. you waited for the new Petzl catalog each year because it had like the next set of climbing skills that you yeah. needed to learn. Yeah. And it was... Damn, it you was guys a, are old. <laughs> yeah, you're super old. And... Um, I'm, I can see in your book collection from if here. If you look hard, you can the, probably see the pencil catalogs. Oh, well, no, I wasn't looking at that. I was actually looking to see if you guys had the um, the Mountaineering Freedom of the Hills book. Yeah, we've book. got that. Yeah, and I think that that was the book that changed my climbing skills and techniques. So if you haven't got that, definitely get into that. Um, long term, what do you hope that this would turn into? Have you got any sort of goals or dreams for this? I, I would like for more people to reach out with yep. stories. I mean, if you, I've had a few people reach out and that's fantastic uh -huh. and I love that. Well, let's just um, get people to dob their friends in, you know? Yeah. Like just, just jump on in and dob someone in if you know them and they want to share, then, um, you know, dob them in. The other thing I want to say... Um, another goal for this is to get more women on. Okay. Um, you know, I've had one, I had Izzy Dukes come on 
and talk about um, an experience that they had on Mount Karura, mm -hmm. which please go and listen. I think that might be episode seven. Um, I think um, sometimes uh, women feel like they'll be judged for messing up, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of women are hesitant to share stories yeah. of when things haven't gone exactly to plan. Um, and to those people, men or women, I would just say that's climbing. You know, I, I climbing like is things is a not going to plan. Judgmental space. Yeah. So like I, I feel like I've talked about some of mine. <laughs> I mean, as much as you, you know, gave it to me in one or two of those points, it was in a friendly, caring way, not yeah. not a hard place. And I haven't had anyone come up to me who's listened to the episodes and ridicule or bad mouth me. I've mm. just had the complete opposite. You know, people come up and just said, "Oh, that was really awesome, and thanks for sharing it." Um, really opened my eyes to what could or couldn't happen and realistically it's a joke like i don't really think that you're unsafe and people shouldn't climb with you and like i said in yeah it's just you know you when you climb when you push the boundaries things don't always go to plan that's yeah. what this is and then you adapt so um yeah don't you know don't hold back a story because you are afraid of what people will think because probably what they'll think is exactly what you said, which is, I'm so glad that that information yeah. is there for me to take in and, you know, hopefully not repeat. My final question is, um, you know, obviously the podcast is about fails and bails. Um, is there anything that you guys have really learned from failing or bailing off stuff or something that you would really want the listeners to know about failing and bailing? I feel like you have a better answer than oh, that. I've, I've done an awful lot of... I don't know, I'd say bailing isn't failing is probably the big thing. Yeah. Like, I, making it home is always the big thing. Uh-huh. Like, so, I've, could, like, I've done few trips to Chamonix and a lot, lots of trips around the world and there's these lists of routes that I've started and the list of routes that I've finished and you know in Chamonix it took sometimes two or three attempts on a thing to finish it mm -hmm. just because logistics and all the other things where you go you want to have a turnaround time and just make it like you're there for fun you don't mm -hmm. have to have an epic like missing the last chairlift back and then walking spending you know your yeah. evening <laughs> walk, walking back into town is pretty demoralising mm -hmm. you might as well just be there for fun and yeah. you know I think it's a, it's a good call to turn around earlier rather than later because yeah. then things get worse things get pretty worse. quickly don't they and and the whole like, like from all the bailing I've done like the reason I climb is because it's the thing that takes me places that I'd never end up like I've been in such weird valleys all around the world and I've been in weird parts of Morocco because there was a rock there it's and it's taken me to all these amazing places but, like, the objective's never to get to the top. Like, getting to the top of something is a real bonus, but it's, like, the objective is the adventure and the yeah. people you enjoy it with. Discovery, right? Yeah. You know, like, learning what's around the corner. Mm. And for yourself? Um, okay, a couple things. Uh, the first one I want to say is not as much fun as the second one. The first thing is don't ever mistake strength for capability in a climbing setting. I think that can be a trap. Just because you're a strong climber, congrats if you are, firstly, because, you know, it's it's it hard to get work. there. It takes yeah. work. Um, but just remember that strength is not the be-all-end-all when it comes to climbing. There are other things that you need 
mm-hmm. um, to to potentially take on uh, our friend Ryan Siachi, put a dollar in the jar. Um, just That's about wrote, ten dollars on this podcast. I know this saying. is what he's saying. Yeah. Um, he just recently wrote a fantastic article on his website, Send and the Art of Climbing, about uh, climbing the Governor mm-hmm. on Mount Barney, and about how even though it's a sport route, a quite a you know hard sport route, um, don't you can't approach it like a sport route yeah. because there's so many other things that go into it. I think yep. that's the case for a lot of adventure climbing that you know there's not just one ingredient that you need. There are a lot of different factors. So I think, yeah, just to bear in mind that, um, you know, climbing is kind of an all round sport. Strength is just the beginning. Yeah. And you need a mental strength and also a very good mindset of skills and techniques. I think you really need to be aware of what you're doing. Yeah. We've got some friends that are very capable climbers at Frog who then run up climbs with foot gear in for them. Mm -hmm. Because we go, you're amazing at climbing it but you're not amazing at yeah. placing the gear. Yeah. And it, 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 you need to be able to stop, take a step back and like see the whole thing kind of holistically and go, even though I won't fall off here, what if I do? Yeah. And, that, and that's why you, you yeah. do certain things. And, and, and that's a trap for young players at Frog, isn't it? To be yeah. like, oh, this is only a 16, I can run this out. Such and a then trap. until the cam and the rope touch each other and it flips out or... You know, whatever happens and a piece of gear blows because it wasn't set properly and, you know, then yeah. what could have been, you know, a three-metre fall turns into a nine-metre fall and it gets pretty gnarly and yeah. scary. And some of the, the strongest climbers I've, I've seen at Frog, you, you look at them and it's almost every perfect metre spacing. Bit yeah. Of gear, bit yeah, of it's gear. like yeah, it's well so, so, yeah. so, and especially Frog because it's a crap. You can treat it like it's a sport climb. Every uh-huh. metre, they put a bit of gear in. Yeah. Because there's no point being bold there because there are consequences uh, very bad and, ones and but then it means at some point you'll end up somewhere on the back of Tibro where there's no gear yeah but you need to understand what you're doing when you're there yeah and that the gear that's below you isn't is questionable isn't substandard yeah so that yeah. you can go am I in a don't fall zone so there's there's uh-huh. a whole lot of really uh, yeah you have to evaluate that yeah. situation and I think yeah that's really true it's very easy to get into a situation that can be problematic, but it takes a lot more knowledge and skill to manage that situation in a way that can get you out of it without being consequentially bad. Yeah. But one more thing I do want to say, um, you know, further to that is don't ever feel like you don't belong anywhere in climbing. You know, if you do the work, whether it be, you know, training to get strong so you can climb at Coolum um, and going there and learning the beta, even if you're falling off at the first bolt every single time, or whether it be learning rope skills so that you can, you know, go out and do rad adventure climbs. Don't ever feel like you don't deserve to be there. If you do the work and you find good mentors and you genuinely have trustworthy sources i'm not talking about youtube human beings who can quality control the stuff that you're doing you deserve to climb anywhere that you want to climb yeah and that's also a really easy way to get into adventure climbing is if you're really good with the rope skills managing the ropes you don't have to be the climber on the pointy end the whole time you're the best belayer and the person like sharing the most stoke you earn yourself 
part of that team as well. Well, that's how I've got on most of my adventures for just being <laughs> Damn right, me keeps, too. <laughs> keep, keeps, you know, the, the fun and enthusiasm up no matter how scary and dangerous it is. So. And seconding can be hard. You Hell know? You yeah. Gotta, Especially on a traverse. Shit. Yeah, yeah, you've got to clean people's shit gear out of the yeah. wall, you know? Yeah. And traversing is scary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess... We should probably thank the sponsors, hey? Awesome Woodies uh, and also awesome Wild Woody's Earth, hey? Wild Earth. You know, nice they're put, putting in a lot of effort for you guys. And I know that Wild Earth's just opened a new store in Brisbane, so... They have um, it. It's sick. Have you yeah, been there? Yeah. It's actually awesome. a really rad shop. So it's kind of like the shop that you wish you had when you started. So yeah. um, good on those guys and thank you for sponsoring. Um, Andrew, Nicole, thank you for letting me do the interviewing today and um yeah i look forward to seeing how this turns out and then also um whoever you chase up next so if you've got a friend that you want to dob in for something um you know reach out and just remember too that um we talked about bailing and failing i think i learned the most from those epic fails and what to do to succeed from the back of that failure or that bail and so um i don't think that i would have been the climber i am today if I hadn't had some epic fails um, to sort of motivate me to either get back onto that route and do it. Or... I think it's also important to bail off when you're a young climber as well. Because yeah. otherwise you, you don't have any good stories. Uh-huh. No, yeah. nobody, nobody cares about the story of you getting to the top of something. We want to hear about you coming down in the rain. Yeah. That's the good story. <laughs> yeah. Mate, I would not know how to do a Monty Hitch today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Hank. Well, our honorary host, Hank Morgans, basically did all the hard yards in thanking Wild Earth and Awesome Woodies who support the bail list. But I want to say another big thank you to both of them for helping me bring this podcast to life for a year now. Please go and follow Wild Earth Australia and Awesome Woodies on the socials. Also, a huge thanks to Hank for being a truly fantastic host of this episode. He's so knowledgeable and I always learn so much from having a chat with him. We'll be talking about a pretty spicy adventure on next month's episode, so please make sure you tune in for that. In the meantime, thank you so much for helping me get the bail list to its first anniversary. I appreciate you so much for listening. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at The Bail List. Share your fails, bails and epics. Stay safe out there and have fun. Bye.